right, good morning, everybody. A couple little announcements or prayer requests. Um, as everybody knows now, hopefully, that uh, Tony uh, Daniels has passed away, and um, they're going to have the viewing and the funeral over at Cross North Baptist Church this Tuesday. Um, I, didn't, I just forgot. Viewing is one to two to three, and funerals at three. Everything will be over at Cross North. Um, talked to Jason yesterday for quite a while, and uh, he's a, um, you know, he, he's mourning right now. But uh, he said he's uh, he's rejoicing. Um, him and Tony had good conversation there towards the end, and, and everybody's got a great piece. So just remember the Daniels family. Um, through, through that time of loss and heaven's gain. Um, Vance was in the hospital this week, had appendicitis, has appendix taken out. He's doing well. Judy said he's doing good, so just uh, remember them. Um, Carolyn had a little, little something, I don't know what you call it. I'm going to call it a scare, but uh, so she, she, she's doing better, more medicine, <laughs> probably. Uh, so keep remembering them, and then Conley this week as he goes in uh, this, this Thursday. So any others? I know we got a lot going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's awesome. I love that. And we're 39 days away. Not that anybody's counting or anything. 39 days. If you've got your Bible, turn over to Luke 16. Luke 16. I told Maria yesterday, I said, I've, I, I struggle with this topic, and I don't know why. And it's, I guess it's because I, I don't want to mess anything up personally. Uh, um, but it's the topic of hell. We don't preach hell very often. And... Um, it's just one of those, I ain't going to call it a taboo subject, but it's just not something that you you talk about a lot in church because church is supposed to be about Jesus. You know, we're supposed to talk about uh, the love and the, all the, the fruits of the, the Spirit and all the good things that come with Jesus and, and, and heaven. But, you know, we've got to preach hell as much as we preach heaven. And uh, we've got to preach Jesus, and, but we've got to talk about uh, the outcome and the downside to not being saved and uh, and today, so we're going to do that. We're going to look at some things out of out of hell that uh, hopefully will will move you a little bit, and it should encourage you. It does, you know. It is hell, and it's not much <laughs> can be encouraging out of hell. But hopefully, this will be an encouragement to those of us uh, that are saved to to be a help to those that are are lost. And reading the story here, of the rich man Lazarus, you wouldn't expect to to find uh, or to learn something from the rich man. We don't. We don't look at the rich man as often as we should. And so this morning, that's kind of where we'll be, is looking at the rich man. We talk about Lazarus a lot. We talk about him being in Abraham's bosom. We talk about that a lot. But the rich man, there's a lot packed in these few short verses here about the rich man that we can get from. We expect to learn something from Lazarus every time we, we read it, though. In this story, it's the rich man who teaches us some important truths about God's Word. It's the rich man. Now, it, that don't sound right, does it? The rich man that went to hell teaches us some important truths about God's Word. God's Word, it don't make sense, does it? But he does. He actually lays it out there for us pretty plain. 
uh, and we'll look at it here shortly. But he, he really lays it out there for us to, uh, I, I like to call it glean. I like to glean from the word here this morning of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man and the beggar here. So we're going to leave, we're going to leave the comforts of earth right now, the comforts of the church, and this morning we're going to glimpse into hell. For just a moment, we're going to glimpse into hell and look at, look at some, I'm going to say it, some encouraging things that we can find in hell. Believe it or not, it's there. We just got to, you got to learn how to read it, though. So if you've got your Bibles open, Luke 16, stand with me just a moment. Luke 16, 19. This thing is huge. <laughs> it's like a carrying around a whiteboard. Verse 19 says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thou good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that will come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, this morning, again, we just uh, come to you with, some have broken hearts this morning. Some be, Lord, just burdened down beyond beyond belief for some of us, but Lord, this morning I pray that you would help their unbelief. I pray, Lord, that you would help carry those burdens for those that are struggling. Lord, I pray that you would be an encouragement, be a help, be a touch, be a guide. Lord, I pray today that you would be the shepherd uh, that we read about, Lord, that would lead your flock. I pray today you would be uh, just the one, Lord, the great physician that so many need right now. God, I pray today that you would just have a touch here. Lord, I pray that you would touch the ones that are here Lord, that may be sick or ailing, God, I pray that you would uh, relieve that pain from their bodies. I pray today if there be one here that's just depressed or just down and out, Lord, I pray that you would lift them up. Lord, be a comfort to them. And Lord, for those of us here that are rejoicing, Lord, I pray that you continue to just fill us up with that joy. As Keith mentioned today, Lord, as our cup runneth over, Lord, I pray I can just drink from that saucer today, Lord, for all the goodness that you've poured out on us. God, we thank you. And we do pray for those, uh, as we mentioned, Lord, of Daniel's family and for Vance. Uh, Lord, I just want to thank you for uh, for Andrea's friend, Lord, to, to give up an organ for someone that she probably doesn't even know. What a blessing. God, I pray that you would just bless her tremendously for that donation. Lord, we love you and we praise you. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen.
All right, you can have a seat. All right, so we're going to look at a few different things this morning about this. And the first thing we're going to look at is, is, is that, that great gulf that he's talking about, that gap, the gap that is between heaven and hell. The gulf, the gap, is we're just going to call it the gap this morning. Between, and we don't mind putting a gap between ourselves and others unless we're the ones on the wrong side of the gap. We do. We put a gap. I want you to look at Lazarus, and I want you to look at the rich man. We're going to call him rich man and the beggar. There was a huge gap between the two, and that, and that still happens nowadays. There's always going to be a gap between those that have and those that have not. There will always be a gap there. I don't care what happens in this world. That's just the way it is. And you see it, and, and I, I never thought about it in school. When I was growing up, I didn't, I didn't have much growing up, and, and so I didn't see that much of a gap. I'm from the west end of Watauga County, and most people out there ain't got much. And so I, didn't, I never seen that gap. And now with the girls in school, with Abby in high school now, I'm starting to see that there is a gap, and I guess we'll call them cliques or whatever you want to call them. But there are gaps between people nowadays, and we see that in society, not just in schools. We see that in society in general. We see gaps between certain classes of people. And so as long as we're on the right side of the gap, everything's hunky-dory, everything's okay, but we don't want to be on the wrong side of the gap. We don't want to be on the, uh, what they call the wrong side of the streets. We don't like that. We want to stay on the right side of it. So this rich man had absolutely no problem whatsoever with having a gap between him and Lazarus because Lazarus, all he wanted was crumbs. All Lazarus wanted was just a little something to eat, and this rich man had tons to eat. But he didn't want to be acquainted with because he was trash. Lazarus was trash, and you don't let trash into your palace. You don't let trash sit and eat with you. It's not where, that's not, I don't know what you'd call that. I don't, it's not acceptable in that time. So this rich man, he dressed in fine clothes. He ate good food. Probably wore white robes, Conley. Probably ate. He, he might have been one of, them, one of them scribes. I don't know. But he, he, he ate well, and he looked good. Ate well, and he looked good. Some distance away, though, away from where he lived was a gate. And there's where the beggar lived. That's where Lazarus was. And he's wanting that food. It didn't bother him because it didn't bother the rich man. Because the rich man was on the right side of the gate, so or on the right side of the gap, sorry, he, or the gate, I guess you could say that either one. But he was, and so it really didn't bother the rich man for Lazarus to be out there because there was a gap between the two. There was separation between the two people, and so they never would enter intertangle, or they would never would get together. And, and so he was okay with that because we were not going. That man's not going to come in my house, and he is not going to eat with me. He Look at him. He is disgusting. The dogs are licking him, licking his sores. He's not coming in this house. But then life takes a turn, and he's in hell, and Lazarus is in heaven. He's in Abraham's bosom. So it went from the rich man is on the right side, the good side of the gap. He's on the, the, the side where there's tons of food and, and nice clothes to wear, and there's a roof over his head. That's the good side of the gap. But then the tables turn, and now Lazarus, the beggar, is on the good side of the gap because Lazarus has gone into Abraham's bosom. He has made it to heaven. Folks, that's the good side of the gap. Heaven is the good side of the gap. There is a gap. There is a gulf between us. 
And heaven is the good side of that gap. Hell, of course, would be the bad side of that, 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 um, that gap. So what does the rich man ask for? He, he asked for some help. He asked, he asked Abraham just to help him out a little bit there. And he said, could Lazarus just put a, a, a drop, a drip of water on my tongue, cool me off? Just a, just a, just a, a drop, just a touch. Suddenly, he wants to close the gap. So here, here's the way that works. You've got the rich man, got it all. Lazarus, the beggar, got nothing. The beggar's asking for something. He's asking for a crumb, a morsel. Give me a crumb, I'm starving. Rich man says, no, I ain't giving you squat. Then the tables turn. So now the rich man is in on the wrong side of the gap, and all he asks for is a drop. A drop. The beggar wanted a drop of bread. The rich man now wants a drop of water. Just a little something. The tables have turned. But did you notice what happened? There's a great gulf between the two, and now it just closed really fast. The tables turned, and now the rich man wants something from the poor man. The rich man is wanting something to, to satisfy him, to cool him off. Just a moment, just a touch. That's all he's asking for. What that tells me is that we don't do a good job putting ourselves in other people's situations. That's what I see from this. We don't, we don't have compassion anymore. If you look at Jesus, Jesus is the poster child of compassion. We're not a compassionate society anymore. We have no compassion for those that are hurting, for those that are struggling. I don't, I'm not even talking about financially. When I say compassion, I mean those that are hurting, maybe spiritually, those may be hurting uh, because of a loss of a loved one, whatever it may be, we have no compassion. The poor man... All he wanted, I think he would have, if somebody would just give him a hug, he would have been okay. I think he just needed somebody to show a little compassion. The best friend that man probably had was that dog that was licking the sores, I'll be honest with you. We need to have compassion for those around us. We need to adjust our attitudes. What, what is the one thing we tell people whenever they're struggling? I can't stand this. I've been in your shoes. Y'all ever used that term before? Somebody's struggling. I've been in your shoes. No, you ain't. You ain't never been in their shoes. That's one of those, those phrases I wish we could just take out a race. You've not been in their shoes. Yeah, you probably walked down that trail before, but I promise you ain't never been in their shoes. To be in their shoes, you would have had to experience everything that they've ever experienced in their life. You don't know what led up to that situation. You have no idea. They are the way that they are. So don't tell somebody, I've been in your shoes before because you ain't. You may have walked down a trail where you've lost a loved one or where you've lost your job. You've been down a trail similar to what they're dealing with right now, but you ain't never slipped their shoes on. Don't lie to them. Don't lie to them. Comfort them. Have compassion on them, but don't lie to them. Don't tell them that. We don't identify with them like we should. And when you get in society, when you get in this world, and you start seeing people that are like the beggar, I'm not telling you you need to give up everything you got and be just like them. But I'm saying you can help them. You can have compassion on them. If they need a morsel of bread, give them a morsel of bread. Give them a loaf of bread. But give them help. If they need prayer, you pray with them. 
If they need a hug, hug them. If they need an ear, let them bend it. Whatever it takes, but be there for them. Be more compassionate. Be a more compassionate society or more compassionate Christian. And show them love, the love of Jesus, when they're hurting like this. If we're on the wrong side of the gap, we expect everyone to understand our situation. We expect it, but not always. But if we find ourselves on the right side of the gap, then we, we're not worried about others. And I'm glad Jesus knows how to identify with my situation. I'm glad Jesus has experienced what I've been through. From the birth to my death, Jesus has experienced everything. And so I'm thankful for that. Because when I go to him, that's where that compassion comes from. I've experienced it. I know what you're going through, and he has compassion. He shows love to me and to you. Compassion. We're missing it. So if there is a gap between Jesus and me, it's me that put that there. If we feel like there's separation between us and God, I promise you God didn't put that gap there. I promise you Jesus didn't step away and put a, a gulf between us. If there's a separation or a gap between you and God, that's your fault. That is your fault. Hebrews 4.14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In time of need. That mercy, that grace, that showing compassion when somebody's in a time of need, we're to show that back to them because that's what God does to us. He shows grace. He shows mercy to us all the time. And right here it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we find that grace, when we find that mercy, whenever we're in time of need, we need to give that back. Because there's going to be others that are going to be in need of grace and mercy. Yes, God's going to bestow that on them as well. But we can give it too. We can be graceful. We can be merciful. We can be loving. We don't have to wait on God. Sounds harsh, I know. We don't have to wait for something big to happen for us to go and love on somebody. We can just go love on somebody. We can just go be graceful for somebody. We can show mercy for someone. Be compassionate for somebody. You should have that. Through the Holy Spirit, you should be feeling that. And you should be pushed to go help. Go be compassionate. Should. We can never forget that Jesus himself, he bridged that gap between mankind and God. It was that cross that bridged the gap, that great gulf. It was that cross that bridged that gap between us and God. I love that cross. There's a picture. I think I've talked about this before. I love there's a picture. It's got mankind on one side and then the gulf and then it's got heaven over here. And laying across it is a bridge and that bridge is the cross. That is what Jesus did for us. He bridged the gap between us and God by the using the, by sign on the cross. I'm about to hang myself up here. Secondly, it's better to be known by God than of the world. 
It is a lot better to be known by God than to be known by the world. Look at uh, verse 19 again. If I can find it in this thing. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. In this world, rich people are known by their names. When we think about rich people, who, what's some of the first people you think about? For me, when I, when I was studying for this and I was thinking about rich people, first person, Vanderbilt, came right to my mind. That's exactly what I thought about was Vanderbilt. And then you got like Bill Gates and then and the, the Reynolds family down there in Winston and the, and the Trumps. And, you know, there's a lot of people in this world that have a lot of money. They're known because of their money. They're not really known for anything else but money. They've earned it. They've earned that money, and so everybody knows them. We, the world recognizes them by name. After all, their wealth has made them important. Their wealth made them important. If they didn't have money, who would they be? They'd be nobodies. The, the world wouldn't talk about them. They wouldn't be all over the internet or all over the TV screen. They would just be somebody else. But because they've got wealth, they are known. God's kingdom is completely different. And I'm thankful for that. The kingdom of God is not like that. Proverbs 22.1 tells us, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich man is never named. Did you notice that? When we think about rich people, we think about their names, don't we? I said them, the Vanderbilts and the Gates and the Reynolds and all them. You know, we think about those. But not in the Bible. The rich man didn't have a name. It was the poor man. It was the beggar that's named. Lazarus is named. Names are important to God, and what makes them even more important is where they are recorded. We write down names, don't we? We take down names. Write them names down, and, and we keep up with them. You know, in school, we've got to have a, a, a roster there, and we've got to go through and check attendance every day, and that's great. We've got, we got to keep up with things. So names are important, but what's really important is where your name is recorded. Registered deeds office, that's great. What's better? Lamb's Book of Life. That's what matters. That's where your name needs to be recorded. That's the importance of your name. Revelation 20.15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Did you put them together? Rich man didn't have a name. Rich man didn't have a name, which means that name's not written in the Lamb's book of life. We know because of what we just read that he went to hell. But John told us right there in Revelation again, he said, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Rich man had no name documented. He was not recorded in the Lamb's book of life. But Lazarus, Lazarus' name written in there. And where did he go? Abraham's bosom. Because his name was recorded. Number three, as Christians, we are all rich by biblical standards. We are beyond wealthy when it comes to biblical standards. Not worldly standards. Not by the way the world looks at us. We can't be compared to these, these multi-billionaires that are out there, these millionaires. You can't compare our worth to their worth. 
Because our worth is greater than theirs, but it's not of this world. Our worth is greater because of where it comes from, and that's heaven. We have waiting on us some wonderful things. This is something I, I got hung up on last night. I tried for the life of me to just start thinking of some things that we're going to be gifted or given when we get to heaven. Have you ever thought about, I mean, have you just ever just sat and thought for a minute, just what are we going to get? We talk about the mansions. We talk about that a lot. And we talk about what heaven's going to look like. But do you ever just sit and think for just a second, what are we going to get? What are we going to receive when we get there? And you start thinking about what we're going to receive, and you get a little happy. It'll put a little joy in your heart. I just wrote down a few, and I had so many of these things, but one of the things, I've had kids ask me this before, and I thought about it, and it's the first thing I wrote down. Are we going to be bored in heaven? You ever, ever had a young and ask you that? Are, you, are we going to be bored? That, we have some conversations at work sometimes. And uh, actually, we was talking about this this week. And I, I remember these conversations, especially when I was at SP, would have these little conversations. And that, that was brought up quite a bit. And then kids at the S Club would ask the same question. Are we going to be bored? No. We're not going to be bored. We're going we're gonna to have a lot to do when we get up there. Just number one, the praise and worship, that's going to take up a lot of time. Just praising his name. And something else we're going to get when we get there is food and water. We're going to get to eat and drink of the living water. We're going to get to, to, we talk about the marriage supper all the time, but we're going to be able to partake of that and then for eternity drink of the living water and then eat manna and have a time. Sing and worship was a couple of them. I just mentioned them. Experience the richness of his grace. We're going to get to feel his grace 100%. Uh, when we get there, we're, we, we feel it here. We get to feel it right now, but man, we're going to get to experience it when we get there. We're going to get to have service of, uh, to God. We're, again, that's, that's, that's uh, that worship and praise. We're going to see God. All our needs are going to be met. We're going to have a perfect body. Here's the one I'm looking forward to. Perfect rest. We're going to get to rest. And we're going to be rejuvenated and refilled. This was the one I, I thought about because yesterday was the nine-year anniversary of, of, of Maria's dad passing away. and I thought about this one about all day yesterday. We're going to be reunited with our, our family that was going on before us. That's exciting, ain't it? We're going to be reunited with those that have gone on before us. Those believers that have gone on, we get to see them. So we're going to get our loved ones and we're going to be in the presence of Jesus. Folks, it just don't get no better than that. I don't care if I don't get nothing else. I get them too. That'd be just fine. Free from darkness, free from impurity. And then, of course, what we read over in Revelation, no more tears, no more dying. That's, that's some good stuff, ain't it? That, that's, some, that's some more perks to salvation. That's some more of those rich rewards, those gifts, the things that make us wealthy in God's eyes. Those are some of those things. Did you see any monetary value to any of that stuff no there is none you cannot put a value a worldly value on the things that we are going to get from heaven from god but it sure does make us rich 
So if we are heavenly rich, who is the, the Lazarus in our life that we're neglecting? We're heavenly rich now. We got it all. But who are we neglecting here on earth? Who's our Lazarus? Or are there more than one? Look at verse 20 again. It says, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at, the, at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Who are you neglecting? Who in your life are you neglecting? That's your Lazarus. It got really quiet in here. Who are you neglecting? Who are you ignoring? Who are you depriving? That could be in your house. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids. It could be your parents, your grandparents. Are they your Lazarus? It could be at work. Your co-workers. Are they your Lazarus? At school, classmates, teachers, whatever. Are they your Lazarus? Who are you neglecting? Who have you deprived of love? Who have you deprived of grace? Who have you deprived of the mercy that they needed? Who is your Lazarus? That'll make you think, won't it? We've all got a Lazarus. Who is it? It may even be in a church. Maybe in this church. Maybe in another church. But we've all got a Lazarus. Someone that we are neglecting. Who is it going to be? Who is it? Who is your Lazarus? Fourth thing. Sometimes it takes tragedy to put things in, in their perspective. Way on down verse 27 again, it says, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. No mention is made of the five brothers when he was living. I don't know if y'all ever caught that or not. Not one time did they talk about the five brothers that he had. Not one time did they mention them by name. Not one time did they mention their status. Who were they? Were they his partners, business partners? We don't know. We don't know anything about it, but we don't know about them until after the tragedy. After his death is when we start to hear about him. The story is all about him and his fine house, his fine clothes, and his good food, but not about his family. Most likely, if the rich man had five brothers, they probably covered poor, middle class, and rich. They probably all was all in there. That's how that usually works anyway. But he probably treated them just like he treated Lazarus. And that's, that's the thing about folks that have wealth. A lot of times they are better than everybody else in their family, and they're going to treat them like trash, treat them like dirt, not going to have anything to do with them because they feel like they're better than they are. That's until their perspective change, changes. Not, that's what happened with Lazarus. His perspective changed. Things took a different turn for him. That gap, he, he doesn't want his family on the wrong side of that gap. He didn't want any of his brothers to endure what he'd endured. We've all said something like that. I, I, wish, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. You ever said that? You ever been so sick? I, I know with COVID last year, a lot of people that I know that had it, that were in really bad shape. They would say things like, I wouldn't wish, wish that on my worst enemy. 
because of what they went through. Or we've been through a tragedy in our lives. And I would say, I've said that too. I've been through some pretty bad stuff. And I would say I, I would never wish that on my worst enemy. Lazarus, I'm sorry, the rich man was trying to take care of his family. But it was too late. He did not want his family to endure, to go through what he was experiencing and is still experiencing to this day. It hasn't stopped, and it will never stop. If we just look at what the Bible tells us about hell, we would have a real concern for the lost. We talk about, when we did that study on the book of Revelation, I think we said it a lot. For the believer, so much of it, of what we read doesn't really affect us. It's for those that are left behind that it's going to affect. And for those, especially when we get to looking, uh, digging deep there and talking about hell, if you really look at hell and what they would experience there, that ought to give us some fuel to reach out to the lost. Yes, it's great to preach heaven and talk to everybody and tell them how much God loves them and, and how much Jesus loves them and how they can have all these great things in heaven that we're going to experience. That's great. I want people to know that. But I think they also need to know how bad hell is. There's no words to describe how bad hell is. Torment is probably one of the biggest words. That was our conversation at work this week. Was What's the worst thing in hell? Uh, to me, it will be memory. And one of the other things I thought of was the fact that the longer we're in hell, the further we're separated from God. That, that's terrible. Being separated from God is awful, but for eternity, getting further and further away from Him, that's even worse. So there's all kinds of bad things in hell, but we need to be telling people about that. There's no way a Christian would ever want somebody to go there. There's not a believer on the face of this earth that would ever want someone to go to hell. Now, it's probably been said that they wanted them to go there because of something that they've said or done. But you can't do something bad enough to deserve that. We probably feel like it at some point. There's probably something in our lives that has made us want somebody to go there. But a real Christian would never say that. And that may offend some, but that, honestly, a true Christian would never want someone. They would want forgiveness, and they'd want them to get things right with God. That's what a true Christian would want. And it should give them a peace. I've preached funerals where the person never made a profession of faith and they didn't bear any fruit. And I, let me tell you something. Those are hard funerals to preach. When they'll call you out of the blue and say, uh, they were of the Baptist faith, can you come do their funeral? I don't know that person from Adam. I don't know. I don't know them. Don't really need to. Sure makes it a little easier, but but you know what I can do? I can still preach hell hot and heaven sweet because there's going to be a group of people right there in front of that casket that need to hear it. So I'm going to get an opportunity to witness to a bunch of people. Even though that person in that casket can't do it, wherever they're at, if they're in heaven, they still can't shout down and say, it's good, come on. Or if they're in hell, they can't, they can't yell up and say, it's bad, stay away. But you know what? I can tell them. From what the Bible says, I can tell them how bad heaven is, or how bad hell is, and how sweet heaven is. 
I couldn't stand there and tell the family their love that their loved one was probably in hell. There's absolutely I don't I couldn't do that. I could not stand behind a casket and say, He's something else. He probably split hell wide open. I couldn't do that. My heart wouldn't let me do that. But I can say, I hope he had things right with God. It's too late now, but you still have an opportunity. You still have a chance. You can still make that decision right now. I can say that. And I'm going to end with this right here, because just because of what we're talking about with, with hell right here. I want to end on this right here. Seven things in hell that need to be in church. I, I think years ago I've probably done this with y'all. But I think this is very important. Very important for us to look at. But it's seven things in hell that need to be in church. <laughs> you probably think I'm crazy, but this is the truth. The first thing, there's lost people in hell. There's lost people in hell. That means there needs to be lost people in church. We need the lost in our churches right now. Revelation 20:15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That would be the lost. We need the lost in our churches right now. Number two, they're shouting in hell. They're shouting in hell. We need shouting in our churches right now. Luke 16, 24 says, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in the flame. The third thing is there's fire in hell. We know that. There's fire in hell. We need fire in our churches. Right now the, the embers are, are about to flicker out in our churches. We need fire in our churches right now. Luke 16, 24, it keeps going, says, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. But he says, because I am tormented in this flame. Revelation 14, 11 says, And the smoke of the, their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Fourth thing is, Hold on to this. There's prayer in hell. We need prayer in churches. We need prayer in our churches bad right now. Verse 27 again says, Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. So these people that are in hell, they're wanting out. And they're talking to God, but they're, they're there for eternity. There is no talking your way out of that one. You're not going to be able to get out of it. You're there. Number five, there is concern for the lost in hell. We need concern in our churches. Prime example right there, we just read it. The rich man was concerned about his brother's. There was concern. There is concern in hell. I used to work with a guy when I was building, when I was working for H and M Construction. It was the biggest alcoholic I'd ever met in my life. I, I've never seen anybody like him, and to be on a twelve twelve pitch roof with him was kind of scary. But I remember we was working one evening, 
and I don't remember what, we always listened to classic rock, but, and I think Highway to Hell actually came on and on the radio, and, and I remember him. He just grinned from ear to ear, and he said, that's where I'm going, and I'm driving the gasoline, I'm, I'm driving the tanker truck. And I'm thinking, that's no way to be. That is no way to be, to be that confident in your eternity like that, that you, there, there's no chance I could ever be saved. I'm just going to go on to hell, and I'm going to drive a gas tanker. That's, that's the way he looked at it. That's scary. That's a scary thought. That's, that's just wrong to be like that. Concern for the lost. Number six, there's crying in hell. We need some weeping in churches. There needs to be more crying in our churches. And I mean heartfelt, concerned tears, concerned for the lost. Matthew 8, 12 says, But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the last one, whew. I ain't one of us here that ain't prayed this. But unfortunately, there's growth in hell. There needs to be growth in churches. Hell is expanding on an hourly basis, probably every minute. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That's sad that there is that much growth in hell. But that's what we need in our churches right now. I know we pray for it here often. Growth. Lord, just grow us. That's, what, that's, our, that's our heart's desire, you know, to grow not, not for nickels and noses, but just to see God's people come together, to see the lost saved. That's, that's the growth that we're looking for. Isaiah 5.14 says, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. Growth in hell. We need growth in our churches. All the churches right now. Folks, we're, we're getting close. We're getting so close right now. We need to grow our churches and reach the lost. Stand with me. We're going to close out. If you got nothing else, I really want you to think about this when you leave here. Who is your Lazarus? Y'all are probably still thinking about that one. I probably got hung up on that one more this week than anything else because we all have a Lazarus. There is somebody that we are depriving, that we have neglected. There is somebody out there. Who is it? Who is it? Make things right with them this week. That's all I can ask you. If you know who it is, make things right with them. Jerry, would you dismiss us, please? Amen. All right, we'll see y'all Wednesday night.